0: Uh, something that we'll find out through the course of this. Speaking tonight are, on my left-hand side, depicted by the convenient net placard I have in front of me, is Stephen Kinsala. You're not talking to me. All right. Stefan Kinsala, uh, who is a patent attorney and leading libertarian legal theorist, the founder and director of the Center of the Study of Innovative Freedom and the Libertarian Papers. Uh, he's a former adjunct professor at the South Texas College of Law. He's published numerous articles and books on IP law, international law, and the application of libertarian principles to legal, legal topics. You can give a hand for him you
1: <laughs> On my right,
0: your left, is Daniel Garza, president of the Libra Initiative. I have a very lot to uh, say about him, but he's asked me not to say all of it. So I will say uh, that he uh, held a couple of important positions for the Bush administration in the early 2000s, uh, has also uh, done important things for the Hispanic community for um, Televisa and Univision, and is currently, as I as already said, president of the Lieber Initiative, lives in Mission, Texas, with his wife, and children. And we're done. Moderating this will be Jeffrey Kaufman. I don't have a bio written for him. I'm gonna let you listen to him talk about himself and then uh, field your questions. There is, for anyone who wants to participate in this, uh, Jeffrey will give you the opportunity to do so. There's a microphone at the back there so that the, so that the panelists can hear you. Uh, just find me back there and I will, I will let you speak when. it's Thank you, everybody. Off to you, Jeffrey.
2: Thank you. Uh, And actually, since I see my purpose as moderator to be facilitating discussion, and this has very little to do with me, I'm gonna tell you nothing about myself. And we'll just let that mystery remain. Uh, So my purpose is to facilitate these guys talking. This will, if I'm doing my job right, this will be the longest I talk in in, in sequence for the entire night. Um, I do see my job to be uh, making sure that they're answering the questions that are asked. I am gonna be trying to find areas of disagreement, so if there's too much consensus, I'll hopefully try to, to run them up a little bit, and my job is to, to ask hard questions. Uh, there will also be, uh, depending on how good my questions go, either some or a substantial amount of Q&A time from the audience. So if you're if, as you're listening to this, if you have questions, um, make a mental note of them, and there will be time uh, to ask them at the end. Um, uh, that said, uh, this, while this is a debate, it is not going to be a debate with a fixed resolution, so there, it's going to be somewhat of a discussion aspect, although uh, we will be seeking to find uh, the areas of disagreement between our two speakers. Uh, so uh, what I want to start with, actually, uh, oh, sorry, one more premise. Um, it's a, When we have these debates, a uh, the common tension in libertarian communities is the debate between Um, the pragmatics of what we're we're doing today, what we ought to do today in the world we live in today, and sort of what's compatible with libertarian uh, theory and and anarcho-capitalist utopia, or whatever you think uh, that the world ought to be. Uh, And so it's important both with our speakers and when we're asking questions to be differentiating between what do we think uh, about what should be done today, and are are we talking about how how things should be in our ideal world. so I'm going to start uh, just by asking our, our speakers uh, to just lay out your position uh, on on open borders. Uh, and we're going to start with open borders in the world today. Uh, so please lay out your position for open borders in the world today for our games. And we'll start with uh, David. So at the leave
3: Initiative, we've taken a very uh, pragmatic, actually, approach to uh, immigration uh, given the realities of the world, given the realities of the, um, sometimes uh, the overt statism um, that we live under, um, it's, I think it's essential um, to look at the immigration debate in three components. It has to do uh, with family, integration of family, keeping the cohesiveness of family. It has to do with the humanitarian uh, issues that are involved in the immigration um Uh, issues in that that entire space Uh, there are needs I think uh, that are being driven or being um, imposed upon us uh, that are humanitarian and that is I think an important factor that that can never uh, be lost in in this whole debate. Um, Things like refugees, people fleeing economic uh, conditions, political conditions, um, sometimes uh, uh, things that I think people have to endure uh, because of the in, in, in the criminal space, the criminal dimension I think is, is, is something that is tragic and I think America has to be considered that. And then third I uh, would say, and it's not most important um, critical is, is uh, market demand um, for uh, market forces to address market forces uh, to uh, there, we, we believe in a sort of a market-based immigration approach, uh, so not so much open borders as, as, uh, as much as I think it has to be um, – and, and I'm not talking about sort of this sort of central planners kind of thing, uh, where we decide, you know, the quotas of, of, of you know, where the, the market is now. But what I'm talking about yeah, – and then to say that this is really important, um, this whole discussion lately, currently, that we're having on merit-based, switching over from family unification towards merit-based. I have issues with that uh, as, as a, um, a person who believes strongly in individual freedom and spontaneous order. Um, over 200 million immigrants have come to America in, in through the Arctic history, more than 200 million, and they've made America strong, and they made Maybe America great
4: rich.
3: Um, I'm sorry? said it made it great. It, it, it made it great, absolutely it did. Uh, immigrants uh, made America very, very great. And um, so, what was important, it, it, important part of the discussion is immigrants have always known uh, how to fill market demand. Uh, they developed any skills that they needed to fill market demand or leverage their own talents, uh, their uh, vast capacities uh, to to fill market demand. and. Central planners didn't have to tell us how many engineers we needed or how many doctors or mathematicians or whatever. So I I resist that. So uh, I'm I'm open borders in the sense that um, I don't think we should categorize the kind of immigrants that are coming in. Um, Immigrants um, are creating uh, wealth for themselves and wealth for Americans. Always have. Always will. Um, they complement the American labor force, which is the greatest labor force in the world, as uh, far as I'm concerned. And I think there is, um, we should honor that uh, through the kind of uh, immigration policies that we have. So I guess what I'm saying is um, a, a smart, flexible system that accommodates for flows of, of uh, future flows of immigrants, uh, that, that, uh, where we address uh, family connections, humanitarian issues,
2: and then also uh, in, in uh, marketing so management, would be smart, smart policy. Thank you, Jamie. And Stefan, your position on open borders in the world today, in the United States.
4: Right. So, from my point of view, I think the consistent libertarian is a, consistent libra- is a libertarian because we're against aggression, right? Going back to basics. … which means that if you're consistent, you're against the state because the state is the agency of institutionalized aggression. So in other words, you have to be an anarchist libertarian to be a real libertarian, which is what I am. Um, so that's how I think about these issues. So when these issues arise, we live in a non-free society. We live in a state-dominated society. So our only question is well, – it's either one of theory or it's one of practice. Right? What would the world look like in a free society? And what policy should we support now by the government, which is not libertarian and can't be libertarian? Everything the state does is a criminal act. So in a sense, we real libertarians oppose everything the state does. But the question comes down to what policy should we support now? But we have to first recognize that that policy is not the, the ultimate policy because the ultimate policy is for the state to commit suicide or whatever the word in Latin would be for the state to kill itself, right? to disband. Anything they do short of that is not going to be the optimal solution. Given that the state exists, there will be losers of any state policy. And this is one thing I think that open borders advocates, which I think I will come around to arguing for in a sense, but open borders advocates among libertarians don't want to admit this. right? They don't want to admit that there's, a, that there's really a choice, that we're, we're libertarians. We're against the state. We're against aggression against individual people. Therefore, we have to be for open borders. But they don't want to admit that we live in a second-best world where the government is there… And the government will have a policy, and that policy will – whatever that policy is will harm some people. So the question is what should the policy be? What would the world look like in a free society? In a free society, the question of immigration would make no sense. There would be no states. There would be no political borders, and everything would be done privately. Everyone who moved would do so by invitation from an owner or by permission of the owner of a road or something like that. They wouldn't have the right to vote. They wouldn't have affirmative action. They wouldn't have civil liberties uh, such as uh, 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 anti-discrimination rights. They wouldn't have welfare to apply to. These issues would just disappear. So immigration wouldn't make sense in a free society, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about what our current government should do. Um, in my view, ultimately, the question comes down to what can a libertarian in their heart Favor, And it's really difficult, and this is an issue I struggle with, and I've written on both sides sides of this issue. Um, The reason it's difficult is because we have a state, and the state causes victims and harms people. It makes us choose. Now, in the end, what can we do? Choose something that will be better for liberty on a pragmatic basis or choose something that's better for human welfare? In today's society, we've had closed borders among all the major nations of the world to some degree, not closed but not totally open. If we open them up now, there would be a rush of people going to the rich countries, taking advantage of affirmative action laws, anti-discrimination law, welfare rights, and so on. And in the US, especially given the history of slavery, the 14th Amendment, and birthright citizenship… They or at least their children would soon have the rights to vote, and so then they become part of the polity, so that would affect the political character. The entire motivation behind the Free State Project here in New Hampshire is the idea that it matters who lives in an area and who has political influence. It matters who votes in today's world. Right? So the entire idea of the Free State Project is that if we get a critical mass in a certain polity, they can have an effect. And that I think is probably true, but that implies that people immigrating have an effect. If it is the case that immigrants would tend to vote for socialism or different types of policies that we favor and they have a certain critical mass, it would result or it could – you could believe it could result in substantially less liberty. I'm not saying I'm a consequentialist or that we have to be consequentialists. But consequentialism and the consequences of the laws that we favor has to matter. We're in favor of all these principles that we favor because of the consequences of liberty. If we believe that if Japan or Israel or Switzerland tomorrow lowered their barriers completely, I think we all have an idea that they would be overrun very quickly by lots of outsiders, and things would change very quickly… And those societies, where they're not libertarian utopias, they are relatively liberal and open societies compared to um, the bottom half of the world or, or, or the past. So let's say the Swiss identity or the Japanese identity or the way of life or freedom itself was wiped out within a generation or two because of mass immigration. Would we be even then, even though that was the right thing to do? I'm not so sure. The problem as a libertarian is we have to recognize that the federal government in America is the steward of the government behind, in a sense, the greatest nation on the earth. But it's also the the greatest, the most evil, powerful government that's ever existed because it's parasitical upon the wealth that the free market in this country produces. It's hard to say that any libertarian with a good heart can support the INS. Um, In the end, if forced to choose, I don't want to lose liberty in this country. I don't want uh, something to happen that will cause us in 10, 20, 30, 40 years to have lost the liberty that we have and the tenuous grasp on it that we have and the potential that we have. But in the end, we also can't support the INS, so I'm left with an uneasy um, sort of conclusion… I can never support the INS, the goons of the federal government. You just can't do it. On the other hand, you can make a theoretical case, which we maybe can get to if we have time, for how to analyze the situation and how to view that the best, second-best policy that we could hope for for a state like we have now would be to do something similar to what the effective rulers in a free society would do…  … to try to minimize the harm done to us. So that would be the policy that I would say they should adopt. And to be honest, from having read Mr. Garza's policies on his uh, website, they seem pretty reasonable. Um, No, we need to disagree. I'm going to – if you have something to finish your point, I want to – Well, I'm not sure if he agrees with me on patent and copyright law, so I want to get into that. (laughs)
2: Uh, I, I think Stefan basically gave, so first I'm actually just going to introduce, because we, we have a lot of questions, so I want to get to questions from the audience. I may just sort of like tap on the table if I want you to kind of get to the end, because we, we, we do only have already only 41 minutes. Um, Stefan kind of answered both of my opening questions at once, uh, so if you have something more to add, I'll, I'll let you, but I'd, I'd like to hear from Daniel on if, if you're you're designing the government from scratch, whether that you might not be a fully anarcho-capitalist libertarian, that stuff on this, maybe you're anarchist, maybe you believe in a, in a larger state than that, what does what is, what is immigration look like for you in that society? So uh, the primary purpose primary purpose of a state
3: is to defend its people from foreign aggression. And mm. um, so let, let, let me just say that that's important, because it, what it does is, is, is defend culture, defend your, your way, your principles, your ideas. Right? Um, which is what the Spartans did against the Persians. So they defended their people, their, their ideas, their culture. And, and what I mean by that is, like, let me take a step back even further. Um, in the Americas, I think the greatest irony is for thousands of years, um, the Iroquois, the Cherokee, the Seminole, the uh, Maya, the Azteca, uh, Inca, Borinquen, um, all roamed the Americas for thousands of years, treating. Uh, and Then, of course, you had Christopher Columbus and changed the entire scheme of things in the Americas. And the non-indigenous came and said to the indigenous, here are borders, you stay there. And today, mainly, I think one of the cruelest ironies is the way I say it, is that mostly the non-indigenous, for leisure, for business, for whatever they want, get to travel the world. And mostly, it's the indigenous who are told to or whose movements are restricted. And it was that way of life that was taken from them, that culture that was taken from them, um, where they were told, now you have to adapt you know, to a new way of, uh, of the world order. Um, and the world order that we've established can be changed tomorrow, uh, given, I think, uh, if we don't give it thought in consideration, My idea is, uh, when it comes to immigration, as Americans, we decide who comes into America. And the the people that we decide who should come into America are those who are going to be industrious, those who are going to benefit America, those who come to work hard, those who come to generate wealth for themselves and wealth for others, just like the 200 million immigrants who have come in the past to America have done so. And we keep out those who would exploit America. Americans or other immigrants who would take advantage of our system. Uh, That, I think, is a smart immigration policy that's pragmatic and practical, uh, but also defends uh, our principles uh, or preserves our principles and our ideas, or at least allows us to move towards a more libertarian uh, uh, nation.
2: Thank you. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll propose a question uh, to both of you. Uh, one idea that proponents of open borders uh, support today uh, is something called keyhole solutions. And keyhole solutions is the idea that we can allow people to come here, uh, but we don't have to grant them the full rights that citizens have. Uh, so, an extreme version of this, and there are less extreme versions, might look something like uh, and, and all immigrants are welcome, uh, immigrants aren't allowed to vote, their children aren't allowed to vote. They're not allowed any welfare programs. They're not allowed any state benefits whatsoever, right? If they want to still come here, though, they would be welcome to do so. And, if, and so if someone is a proponent of open borders today, uh, they, they might advocate for something like this. Uh, and this will be a question to both of you, uh, which is, how do you guys feel about proposals, a proposal like that? Or something along those lines that doesn't have to be as extreme as the one that I, I said. Sometimes it's 10 years or other things like that. Um, First, last time. We'll go uh, with I'll just keep bouncing. So Daniel
3: okay. will um I, I actually uh, love that idea. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to give it too much space. Um, maybe there's areas uh, where there maybe that's a necessity. Uh, people who uh, have work visas with a specialized skills who are temporary by nature come in to do some work maybe for a two, three, four, five year project. I, I can see that to accommodate for something like that. But to have it as as a long term viable solution, no, because what we what we would create is a two tiered society, a, a two I mean a second class type of resident uh, who uh, people who come to America or who immigrate to America should really be of the mindset to become American in 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 our values and our principles in, in um, I think what what happens when when you start <coughs> separating two kinds of categories, here, <coughs> you you really do stunt the assimilation process, um, and in fact, maybe even create conflicts of people very different from us as uh, e pluribus unum, uh, out of many one, uh, out of many factions. I guess is what should be our new motto. So I, I would. I would reject that, um, uh, uh, with the exception of temporary work.
2: You know. So it would seem that your concerns then are, are not purely economic concerns. The previous answers had, had leaned on you know, the, the productivity, uh, which, would, which would be applied when we're thinking about the costs to the state and things like that. This is now more of a cultural But it's ultimately really
3: always economic, right? So for example, um, when an immigrant learns English in America, they will quadruple their lifetime salaries, according to some studies. That's transformative, right? But that's also uh, an assimilation that begins to take place, uh, where Americans who speak English, who are a certain mindset and principles of values and culture, uh, then also are more accepting of others who are more like them in principles and 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 if they're not, then you lose out economically. I mean, it's always coming well, down but to suppose economy. suppose we uh, you know
2: we derive um, uh, a test or a standard. That, so it's not a year. It's not a permanent thing. It's once they've once they demonstrate uh, that they've adopted uh, the values that you support. Is that something that is? That's
3: fine. I okay. mean, look, that's fine. I, I, I think um, my grandfather came in under the Bracero program in World War II. When Americans were, were off you know, to foreign battlefields defending the country, we needed workers in the fields, and the orchards. And my, my, my grandfather came in as a Bracero temporary and um, continued this pattern of circularity where you would come in and work and then return to his country of origin, Mexico. Most of the where are you from? Where I also, my parents are originally from. But th- th- this, this was a temporary work program that allowed for this kind of circularity. I mean, I could see that. Because my grandfather, at the time, never intended to be fully American. Never intended to be fully American. If somebody comes with the intent to be American, then how do we should have that.
2: Okay. Thank you. And Stefan, comments on people solutions for the
4: board? Well, I share Mr. Garza's concerns about having a, a second tier society where you have people of different um, liberties and status, and that's not America, and that that is not stable. Uh, I'm skeptical, as an anarchist, of course, of the idea that the primary purpose of the state is to protect us. I think the primary purpose of the state is to perpetuate its own power. Um, and I would rather invite immigrants to come here to do productive work than to go become soldiers in our destructive wars, and I don't think World War II was to defend us either, but that's a a sec- a secondary issue. Um, look, I think that the pr- – one problem is we have the 14th Amendment, which is the result of slavery, which we shouldn't have had in the first place. And so you, you couldn't even have legally, I believe, a, a policy where someone can come here … and not have the right to vote because that becomes untenable after a while, and eventually they have children, and they have the right to vote. They become citizens. So any people that come here, they're going to become productive members of society, or they're going to become part of citizens in America at least anyway. Um, I think the most productive way to look at it is to imagine what are the harms done by policies either way. When the government prohibits immigration, as we do now, right? there are people coming here that want to work, and they're… There are companies that want to employ people, high-tech workers, etc., and they can't do it. I think all those people should be allowed because they're economically valuable. And most of the arguments against immigration by Donald Trump and the idiot Republicans are based upon this kind of economic protectionism. I'm surprised the Democrats don't loudly agree with them because they're even stupider in economics than the Republicans even are (laughs) if that's possible. So I actually agree with the idea that, look, if anyone wants to come here and they have some kind of economic potential, some kind of job lined up, let them come. They're going to do good. The the problem, as I see it, is that Americans want to say – and even libertarians want to say things like, well, as long as we deny the right to welfare or the right to vote or the right to X, Y, and Z government policies to these immigrants, then they can come… Well, first of all, that's not realistic. We know that the Democrats are never going to allow that. They're, everyone's going to have to come in on the same terms. And it's almost a little bit – it has a whiff of this alt-right kind of racialist perspective of some of these European groups now where they say things like, well, if you have a smaller, more uh, uh, racially similar society like, I don't know, Denmark or Sweden or something… … then they can have a welfare state as long as they don't allow too many immigrants in. So they're, they're basically national socialists. They, they want to keep socialism alive. I mean my goal is not to keep socialism alive. I don't think it's possible to preserve the, the kind of um, rickety version of socialism that we have in the US and keep welfare and Social Security and all these, uh, these programs going for Americans and deny it to new immigrants… it's not feasible anyway, and what's the point? Why do you want to preserve this in the first place? Uh, It it is true that some immigrants that come here become a burden because of the public schools, because of the anti-discrimination laws, because of the welfare laws. But the solution is to get rid of those laws. right? Instead of saying that we can't allow immigrants because of our welfare system that we want to preserve… I mean we're libertarians. We don't want to preserve this welfare system. So let's not say let's have a second-tier class of citizens come in who who just can't get all these things. I mean if these things are a problem to give them to immigrants, why do we give them to Americans? So we need to get rid of of (coughs) of anti-discrimination law, affirmative action law. Uh, even the right to vote in many cases, and then immigrants would do nothing but contribute economically to the country and culturally, and there would be almost no objection to them. So Thank that would be my you. solution. Thank
2: you. Uh, I think this question is primarily for Stefan because he's our only uh, even theoretical supporter of open borders on this panel, although you should be welcome to respond. Um, so my question uh, for Stefan would be um, in, in your – if we've reached the uh, your uh, anarcho I don't, we don't use anarchy, but it's anarchy, right? There's no state. Um, is it ever possible? Are there scenarios in which immigration would come with externalities that aren't uh, properly considered, right? So if you're, uh, if you're generally a libertarian, you're a believer in market. Market forces. Market forces work when the, the price of something incorporates uh, the full cost. Is it possible that certain immigration scenarios could come with externalities that would still not
4: make open borders possible? And, … and this is when it helps to have principles and to be an actual libertarian, right? to believe in property rights and justice. Um, this is why Ayn Rand and some of the earlier libertarians, you know, their main arguments against proposals like the minimum wage or antitrust law… … the main argument was not the Milton Friedman-type namby-pamby argument that it's really hard for merchants to collude together so we don't really need antitrust laws or minimum wage laws don't really do any good. I mean the hardcore principled libertarian argument is that there are rights. You know, two businessmen have a right to collude and set prices. Yes, accept it. That's the world. Yeah, it's unlikely. Okay. Minimum wage laws, people have the right to offer to pay you a penny an hour if you want. In fact, a lot of congressional interns work for zero, which, as far as I know, is less than minimum wage. And during the government shutdown, if I understand it, a lot of people were not being paid minimum wage, so I don't know why the federal government wasn't in trouble for that. But but the point is we have to stand on principle. right? So it's not always about the the predictions of the way way these things will turn out. I think they will happen to be – they will happen to turn out right because I think that consequentialism in, in a principal case for liberty, they dovetail. They support each other. Um, so since as I said it's my job to, to push back here, there's no limits to this.
2: right? So if you're if, – if known rapists or, or child molesters or murderers want to move next door to you, if the entirety of the Sinaloa cartel wants to set up shop next door to your house… There's no externalities imposed on you. You have no rights right. to,
4: to, to anything like uh-huh. that. Yeah, so, yeah right. so the reason I, I mentioned that preamble was because the externalities question is sort of a Chicago-type question. It's about this idea of public failure or market failure and when there are ex- externalities of people do things that impose costs on other people that are not being properly internalized by the free market that we have an argument for the state to step in, which is the sort of Richard Epstein… Uh, argument for a, a limited government. Or Suppose it's not about the state; it's about your
2: moral right as an individual. Do you have a right to? Uh, so
4: to I defend? think that. So, in, so in my view, the, the concept of externalities is is almost incoherent. And it is never a justification for aggression. So, the example you gave of these drug cartels, or there wouldn't be drug cartels in the first place if not for the United States federal government and our drug laws and our treaties. I But it's hard, it's, it's hard like, to come up can, with. Terrible
2: it. people still exist in a stateless society, right? I don't think that's your position, but terrible people won't exist, so.
4: Right. So, but, but that means that what you're saying is that the risk of living with other human beings on the earth sometimes comes with uh, bad things, sometimes with the good things. And if you're going to call that an externality, and if you want to say that will there ever be crime committed by an immigrant… Yes, there will be, just like there will be with human, yeah. with other humans. I just don't see a, a, a libertarian distinction among these classes of people. They're all individuals with the same human rights, and I think we should ultimately be libertarians, not Americans. I am going to start
2: taking some audience questions. I have plenty more on my own. But, so, um, but I do, I, do you have any comments on, on that? I think it's a little non-central to your uh, position, but I'm certainly welcome to. Well, I mean, I know well,
3: there's some discussions on the welfare issue of the magnet. Look, I I don't know of any immigrant, um, and I come from an immigrant family, immigrant families uh, who looked at America and said, "Yeah, I got to get a piece of that welfare system." <laughs> um, whether you, you, you had it or you didn't, or Obamacare or not Obamacare, um, if you kept all that stuff away from immigrants, actually they would thrive um, in America, and they have. Um, you know, I. Talked about the history of American immigrants, and immigrant has, you know, immigration has been good for America. Obviously, our system is not, but immigration has been good for America. Um, it, my parents uh, came over uh, when they married uh, to California as farm workers, and they would follow the crop season from California to Nebraska to the state of Washington. They didn't know English, they didn't have a driver's license, they didn't have a high school diploma, and they didn't have Obamacare, or, and never took over. Uh, and yet they thrived. And yet they were able to fly. Why did they? Because of our free market system that allows for that kind of you know, freedom of, of movement, freedom of you know, to, to sell your labor to whoever wants to buy your labor, uh, to save, to accumulate capital, take that capital, then you know, uh, invest it in a business, and take risks, fail, and then make it. That's exactly what my parents did. Now, we can accelerate that process for a lot of immigrants when they move into America, these you know, basic skill jobs and then move on and up quickly. My parents worked in the fields too hard and too long. Um, and if I could do anything different, it would have been to reduce that time. But still, the point is, if people in their position could amass wealth in America, and then you know, their child can go and you know, work at the White House. Not that that is the, the <laughs> sign of success you know, to work for the state. My um, libertarian friend of Um but but, but it, it is something to behold to have you know in one generation you could your son could be in the most powerful offices in the, in the world, right? Um, it's a testament to this country and our free market system and how we can generate wealth. Um, so I, I'm I'm not afraid of these externalities. I'm not afraid of removing this or adding that. Uh, immigrants are going to do well. Always Thank you. I know we've got a couple of individuals
2: here who are, are really dying to ask a question, so we're going to get into some audience questions.
5: Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm Juan from uh, Juan Carpio from South America, libertarian. Um, I, I'm truly inspired by their of course, Murray Rothbard, but also mm-hmm. Professor Hans Hermann hoppas contribution to contribution to libertarianism. And let me put here point uh, that I'm more pro-closed-border than Stefan Kinsella, and even as a Latin American. Why is that? Let's rock the boat, right? So <laughs> here's the thing. My sister married a Nor- Norwegian guy, a Norse, and she went through this two, three-year process of adapting to the culture because, why? let me tell you, I live in Quito, Ecuador. The streets are dirty. The bus stops are dirty. People don't treat each other very um, elegantly, so to speak. Because you know they're always in a rush, whatever. But streets are dirty. Uh, people are not punctual. People are not worried about excellence. Overall, I'm not whatever verb you want to use on my own culture, so to speak. But let me say this: um, in Latin America, we have been isolated. Uh, 10,000 years from the rest of the world of exchanges and commerce and all those things we, were as cherish as builders of civilization and civility, which is my point, and at least 500 years from the Spanish side, right? So uh, the thing is, I truly consider, and this could some um, really contradictory as a South American, that uh, America should have closed borders, l- allow people. Little by little, so they can adapt to Western values. Why is, is it that um, migrants did so great things over the last decades in the US? Because uh, the migrants that usually came were not after the welfare state's benefits and political correctness and equality in the bad sense that you get the equal treatment under unequal merit, right? Um, so, I truly believe that you should have a period of adaptation, of course that, could, uh, you know, it could harm me or, or benefit me, I don't really care, but I truly see America as a very exceptional experiment of liberty in, in human history. And my question to both authors, especially Stefan Kinsella, is why not present this Radical case for closed borders where you actually choose for people that have gone through this very, I don't know how, let, let, let's just introduce this term just to finish my question. Cultural capital, prerequisites, so that people can come here and actually add, as immigrants of all used to do, the entrepreneurial people came, now you will have hordes of people just. Making a mess
4: of it. Trust me. It will be a mess. Let me just answer quickly, and Daniel can have whatever comments he wants. Um, Look, the bottom line is things would improve, in my view, if we did a few things. Number one, we increased the number – the quotas that people can come here. The guest worker program would be a good idea for seasonal workers. Um, If we started selecting for…  … economic merit in the sense of people that want to come here and do something economically productive. Um, I'm in favor of all that. That would be an improvement because it would reduce the harm done by both of the alternative policies that we have now. Number one, it would reduce the forced integration aspect that Hoppe talks about because if you have people coming for an actual job, they're not coming to just parasite off the rest of us. And on the other hand, if people wanted to bring people over as guests or invited workers, they could do that. So it would reduce the forced exclusion aspect of the harm that Hoppe points out. So I would be in favor of expanding the numbers and making them more merit-oriented so that you could say the quality is better. I don't know exactly how you do it, and the problem is that, as you know, Mr. Garza pointed out, we want to have industrious people. … The real problem is a political problem. The problem is that people that make these standards are politicians who are not industrious people. These are the parasites that rise to the top of society, uh, and they are not free market-oriented. They are not libertarian, and it's hard to believe, to expect them to adopt policies that will achieve this. But if they did, I think it would be an improvement. Yeah,
3: I I agree. The the, uh, IRCA the Immigration Reform Control Act that Ronald Reagan advanced, um, uh, absorbed the three million that at the time were here illegally or without authorization. Um, But it didn't didn't allow for future flows of immigrants. And even uh, just this week, during the State of the Union speech, uh, Donald Trump said that he wants to expand uh, our immigration numbers because of the labor demand. Uh, So even he sees benefit. Now, obviously, he doesn't want to expand on the humanitarian side and the family unification side. Uh, but even he sees that, 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 that we should expand. Why? Because in, in restricting legal immigration, then we induce more illegal immigration. Uh, and that's not good for America. Uh, I think uh, what's, what has been good, uh, again, is, is um, uh, has been you know, absorbing the flows of immigrants. And those who really want to come to America and be a part and be American, uh, I think that that's been critical. Now, I, I, I would be for sort of a state a a guest worker program as long as it didn't shut the door to permanency um, if if somebody wanted to pull that trigger. Uh, But to keep somebody in in, in a temporary worker program, and that's where you'll stay, I I find unacceptable. But to to this gentleman's um, point. um, Can you 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 elaborate on why that's unacceptable? On on the temporary guest worker program? Um, because again, you're creating a two-tiered society. You're creating two classes of, of people in America: one citizen that is fully invested and and takes ownership of America, uh, who has a franchise and agency, and one who doesn't. Is, is that bad for is, is that bad for the first class American citizens? Or is it it's bad for everybody? It's bad for the entire society. It's bad for the children. It it, it causes um, uh, a stigma on them. Uh, people. Um, that there's there's also I think a. a uh, um, you, I guess you're treated as a child of a lesser god, in, in, in a sense. Uh, and and that's, that can never be good uh, to the psychosis of the person or the ethos of the person. Um, it, there has to be. Look, um, I, I, we criminalize everything. Uh, and, and there is an overcriminalization criminalization that takes place. And um, now I understand that you know, to have security at the border, we, we need to criminalize you know, um, the, the issue of who comes in and who doesn't. And and that tag is put on a person. We even call people illegals, as as if humanity can be illegal. Uh, I I find that offensive, actually. Um, I don't think any human is illegal. Um, In the 1920s, we we passed a a, a law. It was prohibition. And we prohibited uh, uh, the the production, the consumption, and and the distribution of alcohol. It was a felony. And for want of a beer, Americans were arrested and thrown in jail for want of a beard. Uh, and so it turns out you know, that it was a bad law, and we changed that law. Here, for want of opportunity, we want to criminalize you know, the, the, the people coming and going. Uh, for want of opportunity, because that, that's what they're coming to America for. They, they want to contribute. They, they want a better life for themselves and for their children. They want a shot. And, and, and so you know, and look, I think we should look for ways to absorb folks who want to do good, want to create wealth as opposed to criminalizing it. All
6: right, I'm going to take a question from the audience. All right, some people have invoked the uh, anarcho-vision anarcho- of uh, immigration in which there are no borders, there's free movement, anyone can live anywhere. And I want to call that into question um, based on the ideas of Robert Nozick. Is it not the case in an anarcho-society who uh, Gathered together, with neighbors they would form associations. They would establish um, sort of boundaries and uh, levels of requirements for participation in a community, and then in establishing that, um, that would essentially be our immigration law. But in a competitive landscape, so I guess what I'm, my my question is: um, Does a right a strictly rights-based analysis apply here when the alternative would Create an, a similar or system, and, and should we really be asking the questions that the people in those uh, associations would be asking about who to, who to include in our society and how to um, integrate them?
4: I, I think I understand the question. Let me condense as quickly as possible, and if people want to f- read up further, look, your question basically <laughs> the idea is this we have an idea of, of government distortion in place right now that harms people. What do we do about that? What policy should we have? What should we be moving towards? We have to have an ideal in mind. This is why minarchists and anarchists differ on these things. Uh, yeah, in a, in a free society, in a private law society, as Hoppe calls it, in an anarchist society uh, – and by the way, Nozick was not an anarchist. Of course, Nozick was a, was a statist. He, he His whole book, Anarchy, State, and Utopia, is an argument in defense of the state. Uh, it's a completely flawed argument, and uh, – but he, but even real anarchists… Unlike Nozick, uh, yeah, we, we accept that there would be private property regimes and agreements and contracts and customs, and there would not be totally free movement of people. That's why the idea like, of Hoppe was to say you have anarchy, you have monarchy and democracy, and this idea we have that that was a movement towards prosperity or, or an improvement in society is not necessarily true, that the move from monarchy to democracy was worse in some ways. And so the whole idea is that… If we want to model what we should be moving towards, maybe the way that a monarchic society would would operate is closer to a free society than the democratic society would be. This is how these arguments go. So the the whole idea, I believe, is that um, uh, the policies that we should adopt would be those that would reduce what I call forced integration, which is the idea that… Um, Anyone can move anywhere be next to each other. They can use public roads, which is public infrastructure paid for by taxpayers. There can't be any discrimination. Look, I'm not in favor personally. I'm a cosmopolitan. I'm a libertarian. I'm an individualist, citizen of the world, Montessori, blah, blah, blah. But people do segregate different ways. This is how life works, and if people want to segregate, you better let them do it instead of making it illegal. The government is in no place to do that. So the, po- the policy that the government should adopt should be one that does just not try to force people to live with each other if they don't want to, but it allows free movement of people. And by and large, when people want to hire people to work on their lawns or to work in their factories or to be neighbors in their communities and buy their real estate, these are voluntary transactions. And ultimately, I think a cosmopolitan individualist uh, attitude will prevail over… Old-world, old-fashioned kind of racialism and bigotry and segregationism. But to the extent people want to pay for that, they've got the right to do it. And Daniel?
3: Um, I mean, I'll repeat. We decided who comes in. like the gentleman was saying, uh, very much in that same spirit. Um, look, I, um, our forefathers, our brothers and sisters and grandfathers and um mothers died in foreign battlefields to defend the principle of this country which is to be a free country, free people, a voluntary exchange, um, to have freedom of expression, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, um, that we defend those principles to this day. I think it's important and that if the state does exist, it exists to protect those freedoms um, and the people who believe in those freedoms. And so if anybody would, um, would subvert those, um, would be an enemy to to those values and those principles, I would question their entry into the work.
2: I am going to reserve uh, my moder- use my moderator privilege for the last question, but I don't think we're there yet. So I think we can take at least one more audience question. So
1: um, the the question relates to uh, tribes it natural people, just naturally being tribal animals, and the. Uh, with also with respect to uh, IQ differences among different groups. And um, this idea that the indigenous people of any continent really um, were just really, freely until European Europeans got there, um, well they were fighting with each other, for <laughs> before the European that got there. And the Europeans brought ideas of the first, I, I mean, the first voluntarism really was the European slash Western idea. And I mean, it may be, well, good to say that immigrants should assimilate, but they're not, they don't. They, I'm from the border, from Mexico, Mexican border, Mex- Mexican, I do was born there. And they, um, well, they, they drive around with flags on the cars, and those flags are not American flags. Flags of, of, of other countries, South American countries. and. Of course, immigration I mean, you know, is as free as anything, and I, I migrated to New Hampshire. But given the the, the current reality, uh, my hometown, I mean, the whole state of Arizona, you see what's going on down there. Just statistically, uh, Latinos vote to the left, and.
2: I think we've got the, the question, so I think this one's well, primarily for Daniel, which is the, um, our, well, they're not they're not assimilating, right? You've emphasized that uh, assimilation is very um, important, and the, the claim or question here is, well, you know, how, how, either how can we enforce that, or if, if we're doing it now, it doesn't seem like we are. Well,
3: you do the hard work. Um, in Texas, um, we have, 30 million residents, 10 million of which are Hispanic. In California, you have the exactly the same, the same percentage of Latinos in, in California. Uh, yet in Texas, every state white elected official is a Republican. Uh, and, uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the, the, I mean, all of them. Yeah, quickly. Um, in California, every single one is Democrat. So th- th- there's, there's two different things going on. In, in Two dynamics happening in two very big states where half of the Latinos live, um, and basically is that in Texas they do the hard work, they connect, they they they. Um, and I'll just not that this is a, a getting into politics here, but quickly because I have to dispel this: they're not assimilating thing. Um, the Latino vote is not baked into the left. If, 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 it's, if it is anywhere, it's because one side has allowed it to. Um, in Colorado, Michael Bennett won the Latino vote, 90% of the Latino vote, and 85% of President Barack Obama in his re-election. Yet Cory Gardner decided that he wasn't going to take that vote for granted, and he went and did the hard work and went into the churches, went into the chamber of Congresses, uh, and met with Latinos where Latinos were at, earned their vote. And he got 45% of the Latino vote in a state that had just voted 90% for a Democrat. So so it's not they it, did, but it requires hard work and it requires connecting. Now, it also requires that the Latino vote feel a sense of ownership in America. And if we're going to do half majors with immigration, then they probably never will. Um, and that's that's a problem. So what we do at the Liberty Initiative is actually work with the Latino community to engage them on public policy, on issues that are impacting them. Um, work from a libertarian point of view. Now, a pragmatic, a more pragmatic libertarian point of view, as opposed to an anarchist point of view, which is, uh, anyways. Um, so, so, but it's, it's important that 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 that, that you, you go to where Latinos are at. We're, we're not going to hurt you. <laughs> You just have to get your
2: heart Thank you. Uh, Stefan has uh, uh, kindly uh, skipped an answer to this uh, question. And so I'm going to just give my final question, uh, which is, uh, many of us uh, here are, even if it's begrudgingly, so uh, we, are, we do vote. Uh, and uh, so let's talk about, you know, pragmatically, right? If we want to move the world in a more libertarian society today, more, a freer society today, we're probably not going to get exactly what we want. What what, what can we get realistically?
3: So, for example, we we, uh, we have a current debate that's happening right now. Uh, the president's asking for 5.7 billion to for infrastructure and border security measures that would enhance border security. And the left is is has a presumably a priority, which is the DACA community, 700,000 kids. And our argument is we can solve both by actually uh, leveraging one against the other. Why don't we go ahead and do a permanent solution for the DACA community that would put them on a path to citizenship? And the president, guess what, he's asking for. Well, does that include the wall? Somebody will ask. Look, we're opposed to a wall because we feel that there are other things that we can do. That I mean, there's enough wall already along the border. We need animal migration. We need a bunch of reasons we're opposed to the wall. But we're willing to be pragmatic to answer your question on this issue and say yes, give the president what he's asking for, which would include some infrastructure, in order for us to get this long-term solution and get out with the business of fully assimilating 700,000 kids in America.
2: Stefan, comments on what's what's pragmatically achievable today?
4: Okay, quickly. Um, it's hard. As opposed to comparing anarchy to pragmatism, I, I mean, I think. Anarchy is pragmatic. Is the idea that the government can get anything good done is what's not pragmatic, um, but that's my liber- that's my anarchist tendencies. Uh, the wall would – I mean the wall seems practical in some ways, but the wall would require not, not only taxation, which I oppose. I don't want to pay my fair share of that, um, <laughs> but it would require theft in the domain of, of, of thousands of acres of private property. Uh, and I don't even know if it would work because the wall would be on American soil. It can't be right on the border because that's not possible because of the river. So it would be on American soil, so if some of these immigrants cross over the river and they get close to the wall, they're still on American soil, so then the walls kick in. The whole thing is, is pointless. Uh, as for pragmatism, I believe that the way to achieve liberty is for us to keep evolving towards greater wealth per person… Um, which requires more technology and more liberty and more people right? because we have the division of labor. Um, And so the only way to achieve liberty in the long run is for us to be wealthy enough that the state becomes irrelevant. So pragmatically, I think anything that increases liberty and wealth is going to achieve more liberty. And I think immigration, despite some of the flaws given the government the way the government controls it, um, gives us more division of labor. Right And more people, more human capital. So I think the way is to let more people come into the country that will do something productive and make us bigger and stronger and freer in the, in the long run. All right. Thank you. Uh, we're going to end it here.
2: Uh, we're basically out of time. So a uh, round of applause for our speakers coming out. Check out the what If someone is very interested in the Libre Institute, the next step is to... Sure, uh, www.belibre.org
3: B-E-L-I-B-R-E dot org or go to Facebook where we have a million followers below uh, uh,
2: the Libre Initiative. And then on Twitter as well, Libre Initiative. Thank you. And Sapan, is there anything that you would like the audience to do in terms of keeping up with your writings or ideas? Just
4: my name's all you need. <laughs> all right. Thanks. completely mangled
1: Germany, and whatever you called him.